This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good morning, Craig. Good morning. Let's start with the latest from the markets. Of course, Thursday was a very good day right across the globe, particularly in the United States. And uh, overnight in Hong Kong, we saw some big gains, but it's a quieter end to the week for European markets, is it not? It is. It's been another one of those weeks where it doesn't feel like an enormous amount has happened, but there's still been plenty of volatility in the markets. I think that one of the most notable things this week has been that we have seen this gradual improvement in risk appetite. And you've got to ask yourself, why is that? And how sustainable is it? Because we're talking at a time when the S&P 500 just hit bear market territory, when the Nasdaq is well into bear market territory, and questions were being asked about recessions. And what we've actually seen since is we seem to have seen a bit of a, a pullback across the board in terms of expectations. We've seen yields fall back a little bit. That's aligned with potentially slightly lower uh, expectations in terms of how high interest rates are going to go. And there's obviously a, a link between the two there. Maybe this idea that if we're starting to price in a slowdown in the economy and a recession, then will that have an impact on demand and household behaviour in terms of what that will do in terms of inflation? And will that negate some of the need for the central banks to have to raise interest rates quite so much? It led to negativity in the markets last week, but perhaps these pullback in yields uh, and uh, interest rate expectations is one of the things that's maybe supporting the markets a little bit during this corrective move this week. Which brings us to the next point: How sustainable is it? And I'm still not that um, I'm still not that confident that we're seeing a big sustainable recovery. And it's because of what we've just been referencing. We are still heading for an economic slowdown. We're still seeing signs of a household squeeze, and that's only going to get worse as the year goes on. So the best case scenario, in as far as interest rates are concerned, is that the economy slows enough that. We don't need as many hikes. And if it doesn't, then we're going to need more interest rate hikes because inflation is still very much there and we're not seeing any real signs that it's abating. So I'm not really seeing the bullish argument in terms of this the sustainability of this rally. They, one of, Almost one of the key arguments for the moves that we're seeing right now is just that the markets have pulled back so far that it's impossible to ignore such discounted levels. And that's fair enough. But that only takes you so far. So it's been an interesting week. I'm not overly confident we're going to see this sustained into two, three, four weeks, but we can all cross our fingers and hope that what we're actually seeing is signs of uh, improvements in the economy and improvements in inflation, but I just don't think the data supports that just just now. But the question is, Craig, how do you maintain that balance between what you do as far as interest rates are concerned in order to abate inflation without pushing economies into much lower growth or even recession? So I think the important thing is central banks always want to pay attention to both and they know that one impacts the other and vice versa. They know that higher interest rates will slow an economy, but they also know that a slowing of the economy and recessions also have an impact on inflation in terms of bringing that back down to target. A lot of the time, central banks will look to kind of tweak their policy in order to try and maintain the right balance, but we're not even remotely in a balanced environment right now. So make no mistake about it. Central banks are focused on inflation and the economy comes second. If they've got to tip the economy into recession in order to bring inflation from 8% down to 2% or at least down from 8% down to 4% and on a sustainable path towards 2%, then they will do that. And I think we've seen that from the Bank of England. They've accepted that the UK is heading for a recession later this year, early next. But it's not changed their path on interest rates. It's not changed their decision making because they know that the important thing here is that they get inflation back sustainably down to target. And without that, 
We're not facing one recession. We're facing a prolonged cost of living crisis and an inflation spiral, which will be much harder to control later down the road. So in central banks, in short, will always choose inflation, sustainable, low, on-target inflation over the economy. What they've often done and what we've not seen them have to do for many, many years now is have to choose between the two. What about the view from some economists? We've seen yesterday this big announcement from the Chancellor of the Exchequer for the UK, Rishi Sunak, a £15 billion grant, really, to help with those uh, energy bills, particularly for those on lower incomes. But there are some economists who are expressing a bit of disquiet about uh, these decisions because they say, well, they will sustain the inflationary situation. And you can understand why there is concern about handouts versus inflation, because if we look at the US, for example, questions have been asked around the stimulus checks and how much they stoked inflation and how whether what the sustained inflation that we're seeing in the US right now and the sustained demand in light of higher prices is being driven by the fact that households do have more savings and therefore they can sustain higher prices for a longer period of time, which makes the central bank's job of controlling that all the harder. But what we shouldn't do is mistake what these these broad stimulus checks did um, and what eventually happened with them and say that supporting vulnerable households through a cost of living crisis and enabling them to survive um, is, is the same thing. And I think that's why uh, Rishi Sunak talked about the targeted nature of it and why we can't just ignore the plight of the poorest people in society um, in, in times like this, in the hope, in, in the fear that it may make the central bank's job a little bit harder, and I, I think with the ha- there has to be a balance here. This is both in terms of an economic balance, but also just in terms of a moral uh, issue as well. And there is many, many households throughout this country and throughout many countries around the world going into winter who are going to be not just feeling hard up and having a difficult time paying their bills, they're going to be having to make horrific decisions. And measures like this from the government is, I think, is necessary to support those most in need. And they just have to be designed in such a way that the money goes to those most in need uh, and not more broadly to those that don't need it. And I think that's in many ways maybe where the stimulus checks in the US didn't quite uh, have the desired effect and may have contributed to the inflation that we're seeing over there. Uh, And maybe that's feeding some of the fears that we're seeing over here with regards to this announcement. But I would, and I'm sure many people would rather see the most vulnerable uh, looked after and avoid a much more horrific crisis later later on down the road and give the central bank a little bit more to do rather than um, rather than the horrific alternative. Well, that's what they've done, isn't it, really? The most vulnerable will be getting in excess of £1,000 of money and £400 for everybody else, no matter what income. Uh, you could be Rishi Sunak and receive that £400. In fact, he would, wouldn't he? Having said that, though, there are going to be lots of middle-class people who are going to have real problems. Uh, These aren't people necessarily on lower incomes, but real problems uh, finding the money because some of the bills, and I've experienced this myself, are running into thousands of pounds more. But anyway, let's move away from that. As we were saying before, improvement from markets in terms of risk appetite to end this week, Craig. I want to ask you about oil, which has been fairly steady this week. What are we expecting? Is there anything as far as the oil and energy side of things that we could see in the next few days? Yeah, so we're still seeing oil prices trending slightly higher. And we've got this 
interesting dynamic right now with with the oil price, which is that we're seeing still bullish factors maintained. We're now seeing Shanghai reopening. We're seeing the EU moving a little bit closer towards potentially a deal uh, in regards to Russian imports, um, which could potentially have a bullish impact on the price because obviously that creates more demand for uh, fewer uh, sources of oil. So that's having that could have a potentially bullish impact on the price as well. And also just the plain fact, the most obvious fact, which is that OPEC Plus is failing to hit its targets and it's failing to hit its targets by a wider margin each and every month. And that creates this additional tightness that we're seeing in the markets. Now, up until this point, there's been countering forces, which has helped to alleviate some of that. We've seen it now with Beijing and some tighter restrictions in other parts of China as well. We've also seen it with, uh, we've also seen it as well uh, in the in the sense that we've started to have global economic concerns start to be priced in, and whether we're starting to see this slowdown materialise, which affects demand as well. But ultimately, I think the risks still remain tilted to the upside, and that's what we've seen with this kind of gradual move higher over the course of this week. We're slightly we're seeing oil prices slightly lower today, but I still think the I still think the the factors, the fundamental factors, still. Are supportive of oil prices rather than rather than the alternative. We've got the OPEC Plus meeting next week, and while interesting, uh, we I don't even even let's take the best case scenario, which is that OPEC Plus decides to increase production. They're not, they're not hitting targets. So what what what, what that will that achieve? Well, that that'll just widen the margin by which they miss their targets by. It's not going to suddenly create this the, all this in, extra capacity. What we'd need to see is the is Saudi Arabia and the UAE, for example, utilize their extra capacity in order to try and alleviate some of that pressures. And we just haven't seen the desire to do so so far. So I think there's going to be a very close focus next week on the OPEC Plus meeting. But you leave, you're left asking yourself, but what exactly can come from that that's going to make a, a massive difference? Okay, we'll hear more from you about the week to come shortly. But I just wanted to focus a bit more on the rest of today. This is Friday, of course. And in the United States, of course, they're still uh, early there when we're speaking now. But they're going to get some personal spending uh, data, which should be quite interesting in the PC price index. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard to comment on that now because by the time this goes out, the data will be out. So by the time anyone's listening, the inflation data, the PC price index, the income and the spending data will all be out. But I think that's the only really interesting thing left for today. I think we're slowly easing our way into the weekend. And uh, and really, next week's a funny one as well, which we'll come on to shortly because of the bank holidays, etc. Um, it's going to be a funny old week. So I think, I think we're easing our way in. The only difference being that... Again, listening to this with the benefit of hindsight to that data is if there's anything shocking in that data, it could potentially create some volatile conditions going into the in, into the weekend. But unfortunately, given the time of recording, we just don't have access to that at the moment. Don't knock a double bank holiday week, Craig. That's something I'm looking forward to. I cannot remember in my lifetime a bank holiday on a Thursday. Any Anybody listening out there uh, who's wondering what we're talking about, it's the uh, double bank holiday on Thursday and Friday in the UK because we will be commemorating and celebrating the uh, Platinum Jubilee for Queen Elizabeth II with 70 years on the throne. Quite extraordinary, really. But uh, yeah, it's a long, long weekend uh, for everybody involved in uh, economics, markets and finance, which I'm sure they'll uh, appreciate. <laughs> 
And you wonder what impact that will also have on the rest of the week. I mean, my only hope at this point is that the weather holds up that we're seeing today and holds up to that long weekend and we can all enjoy it properly. But uh, you wonder what that has on the rest of the week. I mean, uh, as soon as that bank holiday was announced, the conversations were being had. If you book off the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then you you can use three days holiday and have uh, a full week off or even longer if you use more holiday because of the way the bank holidays fall at that time of year. So you always wonder what kind of an impact that's going to have on the trading activity over the course of the week. And also you've got uh, bank holiday in, in Italy on Thursday, you've got a bank holiday in China on Thursday, bank holiday in the US on Monday as well. So I think that I think trading activity next week is going to be really interesting on that front. And what makes it more interesting, Ken, is it's the first week of the month. So despite all of those bank holidays, we've also got the US jobs report on Friday. We've got all the data that comes before that, like the ADP figures on, 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 Wednesday, on Thursday, actually, because of that bank holiday. On Monday, the jobless terms, we've got the Fed speak, which is, of course, interesting. We've got the Bank of Canada uh, interest rate decision. Also on Wednesday, we've got some PMI data, the ISM manufacturing services PMI data from the US as well on Wednesday and Friday. So there's, there's in many ways, there's some real big economic events to come next week. But the flip side of that is the amount of bank holidays we've got and the impact that that's therefore going to have on the activity in the markets it can sometimes kind of go two ways sometimes it can really be a drag on the markets in terms of activity other times when you've got massive economic events and then low trading volumes because of all these bank holidays it can actually make the markets much more choppy and much more volatile so i think it's going to be a really interesting one to follow okay craig have a very good weekend which is followed by a very short week we'll speak to you again next week though absolutely thank you this is the oanda podcast